Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. All right. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So uh, this morning, I'd like to spend some time talking through uh, just kind of navigating relationships with parents. It's an interesting uh, phase of life as I am, you know, kind of going through this phase of uh in my 30s, relationships with parents are, are shifting, and um, even with uh, with kiddos now, having them become grandparents and watching that, and that's been really, really fun. Um, but I've also seen in my life in general, but also around me, uh, as people enter into these, these different phases with their parents, it made me think back on previous conversation that we've had about the meadows, and we were using that as a bit of a metaphor for how, how to navigate life in general. But I want to throw this out there to you and, and just get your get your thoughts on it if you think it's it's maybe a valid way to look at things and then also um, just hear your thoughts on, on how to navigate changing relationships relationships with your parents well. Um, so hear my hear my thoughts. Sure. When it comes to the meadows, so to speak, of of your parental relationships, uh, I feel like there's a there's a stage you go through in life where the the first meadow, so to speak, is is that like perfect parent. You know, when you're younger and you grow up and it's always like, my dad's better than your dad. And, you know, that whole piece of uh, idolizing your parents and thinking they're perfect. Um, but then you hit a certain point where you start to realize uh, they're they're flawed. And um, there there's a healthy critique to that of being able to look at your parents and process and go, you know, maybe, yes, my parent loved me here, but I feel like they, they maybe missed the mark here or... Um, I don't know if I'd do that with my kids. And, th- and that, I think that's a healthy reflection, but it also, it takes an ascent to get to that next meadow, to be able to, to uh, comfortably look at your parents and not uh, forsake your love for them for a critique, but, but to, to be able to love them well and also find uh, or be comfortable with the fact that they're not perfect. You're almost accepting that. Um, but then there there's the, the next phase, which is, as you uh, you get a little bit older, maybe you get a little bit more mature. If you if you never get to the next meadow, uh, and you stay in that realm of maybe critique or uh, um, embrace of their flaws, if you never really make it out of that, you stuck in this bitter, maybe even angry state where it's like, uh, you know, why didn't my parents ever grow here? Why didn't they ever? overcome this and now that's caused this in me and, and you get stuck in bitterness but if you if you do actually ascend to the next meadow it begins to be this you know well as an adult now I can actually uh, I can love my parents well I can I can work through forgiveness for them but I can also help them grow in areas I can also provide insight to, to their potential blind spots as, as I go and learn from them still and reflect on their the, the good things um, so anyway that's that's kind of how I've been seeing that I'm curious your thoughts? Do you feel like that's that's off the you know off the mark there? Um, go for it. No, I think there's a lot there. Um, you know, in ascending the meadows, one of the advantages should be that you uh, your lens widens. You get a wider vista. That's part of why you 
ascend a meadow as you mm. so you should uh begin to see more and more <laughs> i'm always reminded of these conversations about mark twain he had a lot, of, a lot to say about parenting and he said when i was a boy of 14 my father was so ignorant i could hardly stand to have the old man around but when i got to be 21 i was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh, so a <clears throat> couple of things that stand out um and this has been uh, yeah remind me by the way so we've spoken about the great divide c.s lewis's mm -hmm. great divide and how this gap began to form in 1816 and somewhere between 1816 and when lewis introduced it in 1954 a gap developed between really the way the world was understood prior to that and here in the West, the way the new Western world, when I say Western, we were talking primarily Europe and America, but fundamentally the United States began to view things. Uh, and that would include parenting. So I think that, um, I think what you're wrestling with, Pat, is when you're, you're ascending this meadow, you just begin to go, hmm, and uh, I did. I did with my parents. I yeah. I grew up um, um, in a in a home where my father loved to say, uh, "Good old German home." So there were six boys. That's a joke. Uh, but my mom was like, <laughs> she was like a male, and my father was very much the male. And, and so they used to tell us that we're growing up the four boys in a benevolent dictatorship. And then my dad would always chuckle. And as a young lad, you go, I, I think I know what dictatorship means. I'm not sure what benevolent means. <laughs> and he always said, you may doubt the benevolence, but never the dictatorship. <laughs> yeah, a real rich sense of humor. I understand so much about you now, Mike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, we're just beginning. <laughs> and it's true, and you go away, especially when you go away, uh, to college and I came back, uh, I remember, hmm, started seeing my parents differently. You actually begin to see them as an adult and you begin to see them as adults. And so, uh, and then in the thirties that did change. So I want to propose this, that, uh, what you, your questions come from and should come from anyone, uh, especially as they, uh, ascend into the meadows of their 20s uh, they should be things should be changing it's fascinating uh, kathy and i just did some uh, premarital counseling for a couple uh late 20s uh, and you know what's starting to leak out a little bit is some of the ways that uh, one of them is parented and uh, whether or not that's going to bear out to be healthy if nothing else it certainly leaves its imprint so i think that the parenting you can break it down in uh, in two ways uh, i think scripture makes a demarcation and in fact you have a lot of faith traditions that do the same demarcation and uh, now to get listeners to sort of uh, wire in i think that uh, because we live on this side of the divide we actually uh uh, retard the growth of kids today. And that's nothing new, but that's what I'm going to put a kind of stake in the ground that most parents, and this includes Christians, 
retard the growth of uh, their kids. Hmm. Of course, Pat's listening now because he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Fun to make, but uh, the work we do is a little different. I'm going to base it on this. Uh, first of all, Scripture makes a distinction. It says, uh, children, obey your parents. But then what was given to adults who were parents, the Decalogue, it says, honor your parents. Those are two different um, commands, obey, honor. I think we get obey. What do you think honor means? Uh, respect. Um, I often think uh, not necessarily make them, make them proud, but uh, in, in a situation, how can I... How can I make, choose an option that would would bring honor to my family or would, would you know somewhat make them proud? Yeah, and what's one of the best options you can take or make or take? In, in life? Mm, yeah, it might surprise you. Think about this. What did Paul say people in vocational ministry, like a missionary or a pastor, what are they worthy of? It's a rather oblique question because I've been a vocational minister. I know the answer because we send out letters all the time. <laughs> yeah. Double honor. Ever heard that verse? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's coming back. See that, see that corner of your brain over there with all the cobwebs? It's finally That's turning it. on. <laughs> there you go. Double honor. What did Paul mean by that? Yeah, I don't know. Sure you do. You just said the first half. Respect. The second half, it's the same that God meant in the honor your parents. Make sure they're financially covered or taken care of in their old age. So honor your parents is to respect them, to, to make choices, but it also it includes the double honor is not only to esteem them, hmm. But it's to uh, ensure that they are not destitute in their old age. Hence, hmm. Paul says to those who are in vocational ministry, they're worthy of double honor. That is, he says, uh, look, the farmer goes out and farms, and then he can, uh, he can plow the field. He can, whatever he sows, he reaps, he takes it to market, and that's how he lives. But Paul said, I sowed spiritual things in you, this is 1 Corinthians 9, is it not too much that I should reap material things from you? In other words, those who, who are doing what Paul was doing or what I do in vocational ministry is we don't plant, we don't uh, write code, we don't, um, we're in a, a vocation, a calling that uh, you don't, so open assisted living homes, people come in, they pay, there's profits, and we reap some of that. So we, in every other vocation, generally speaking, you reap what you sow. And what's distinctive about vocational work is I think it should be held to the same standards of professionalism, performance reviews, all that. But uh, it's worthy of double honor because uh, you don't reap you don't sow material, so you don't reap material. You sow what Paul said, it's spiritual. And I'm not making a distinction between the spiritual material in terms of one is superior. 
although you I could if I wanted to could make the argument that if you really want to weigh it out on the scales um, it's it's of infinite value it ought to be of infinite value what people of vocational ministry bring and that might be a topic we'll talk about in another time by the way is uh, if you look before the great divide clergy were much better paid they made far more on average because they were considered professionals than what people of vocational ministry make today in fact uh, it's stunning the uh, but a lot of it has to do with well they're just in ministry sure and uh, so i'm a doctor so of course i get paid more and it tells you about uh how the values flipped after the great divide so all that to say you have a distinction between um, obey your parents and honor your parents and honor your parents is exactly that you have a life that uh, that denotes that you give them respect and um, esteem for what they built in and you make sure they're financially taken care of i'm with you okay but that raises the big butt and here's the big butt. So before the Great Divide, when did you, Pat Brown, become an adult? At uh, what age? Before the Great Divide. Uh, yes. I, I believe, was that like seven, something like that? There you go. And now that comes from, from what? Uh, more Jewish traditions? Yeah, Jewish traditions, although you see it in... Um, you see remnants, for example, in confirmation in a lot of older mm. faith traditions. I was confirmed uh, when I was at age nine. Uh, you see it in uh, Puritan rituals where uh, if you want to take, for example, the Westminster Confession, I know the Puritans, I, I guess they might have, well, they would have been familiar with that. The idea is uh, the great aim of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And... Uh, the Puritans almost took this approach. Glorify God by enjoying him forever. Which of those two is going to prove more challenging in the long? And now that you are the wise sage that you become at the age of 30, whatever, uh, which of those two is more difficult, do you think? Glorify God or enjoy him? Mm, mm. Uh, I mean, I would, I would probably go with, uh, oh, that's tough. I, I would think they're too, too coupled. Uh, aren't they well, they're coupled right yeah. they are they're they're conjoined but can you imagine uh, which one uh, viscerally people more rest uh, is more impactful oh and enjoying <clears throat> him i feel like it's yep. yeah yeah that's it boy look at your brain there's smoke coming out your ears you are really <laughs> you are motoring this morning buddy <laughs> if you want to take a moment to score some w2 or w4 and w2 that'd be good <laughs> score some <laughs> Oh, man. i got to wake up. Off to a good start here. We're off to a good start. This will go down as one of the great, great podcasts of all time. Um, so, that's right. Enjoy. Why? Why viscerally is that more difficult for most Christians? Viscerally. Because that's how we live is viscerally. What we feel. Desire. Yeah, well, I, I think part of it is we don't we don't actually connect the two. Like, I think of a very very simple view of of a, uh, a younger growing in Christ or, or becoming a believer at a younger age. There's a lot of new and exciting things that eventually just wears off. 
viscerally. That's right. That's right. The newness. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's good. Uh, I noticed it the first time. I used to be with a, a large, many, 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 many years ago. I was with a, a large, we'll leave the name out of an organization, uh, <clears throat> an international it was an evangelistic organization. We raised our own support, shared our faith, what have you. And uh, after I'd left, uh, I, I read a, a survey that was done on all sorts of uh, alumni. It was a good survey. It was it was pretty thorough, uh, qualitative and quantitative. And but they, it asked these questions: Since leaving staff, uh, yeah, have you shared your faith in the last year? Have you shared your faith in the last? 10 years. So for some, they found something fascinating, Pat. What's that? After leaving staff, uh, only 1% in the past year could ever recall sharing their faith. I believe but, it. Yeah, I mean, I do too. Uh, but that's curious because when you were on staff, it, you were Part of your performance review is you were supposed to do it a lot. And let's suppose that they were good people. They did do it a lot. What does that tell you? About sharing their faith. Yeah, it, it uh, was not enjoyable. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's it's not it. something they enjoyed. It wasn't enjoyable. Uh, we had a running joke when I was with... Uh, with this organization that it ruined every flight we took because we were supposed to share our faith with the person next to us. Dang it. <laughs> My wife, Kathy, and I used to say, I just want to go on vacation this time. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's telling you we want to glorify God by sharing our faith. That's a laudable ambition. But we don't enjoy the way we do it. So once we're away, I guess what happens to kids? I know I'm supposed to glorify God, but once I'm off from under the parents, I don't enjoy it. Hmm. I, I don't enjoy this faith. It's what we see of the rise of exiles who feel like outsiders in the evangelical church and the rise of religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that they have essentially left the faith. And I think it's because of this, this uh, distinction between adult and child. So let me uh, talk for a moment about how it worked on the other side of the Great Divide, and then we'll talk about what happened in the 19th century, especially the development of uh, helicopter parents and hunchback parents who always hunched over their kids and parents that protect their children from all manner of evil and so on and so forth. And here we go. So it was actually when you say, uh, when did you see this happen? You, you see in the Jewish tradition, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. We uh, here, the home we live in, we have hosted uh, parents who have brought their uh, sons or daughters in for a, a Christian rendition of a bar or bat mitzvah. That is a passing into adulthood. And it comes from this. So... You've heard of the word adolescent, and uh, you're an adolescent. What defines an adolescent? Who is a what? Have you ever thought about that before? What age range defines 
I was so. going to say, yeah, isn't it just an age range? And uh, I don't know. It's something like 11 to 17, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I wouldn't know. I, um, there's a good little um, uh, paper that we could send to readers, uh, Pedal included in this. It's called Wither Adulthood. That's a, obviously it's written by an academician. Withered, that is, a, it's a rather dense academic way of saying um, how do we understand adulthood? And uh, written by James Davison Hunter at the University of Virginia. And here's what's striking when you read it. The word adolescence was coined in the late 19th century. It literally came out of thin air. And so it redefined youth. Now, we ought to put a, uh, a warning just like you have on this, uh, a carton of cigarettes or in a package of cigarettes. Uh, warning, what you're about to hear is dangerous to the health of youth workers. Because the idea of youth and adolescence extended and created this whole market called adolescence and youth that simply didn't exist prior to the Great Divide. It came out of thin air. That's because, again, if you read this paper, it is fascinating, is that your daughter and kids were considered to be, prior to age seven, diminutive adults. What does that mean? Uh, Don't you love these big, thick yeah. words so early in the morning? <laughs> well, it's, it's got dominion in there. So. <laughs> Something no, it doesn't. It's, it's different. diminutive, not oh, dominative. Diminutive. Oh, okay. diminutive. Okay. I don't know. You can probably Google it. It's just the idea of uh, embryonic, unformed, becoming. Hmm. And so children obey your parents. Is This is a diminutive adult that you are, that you are raising right now, Pat. And at age seven... They become adults. Hmm. Versus versus viewing you know, versus adults, like twenty five right, today right. or twenty seven years old when they become adults. It's right. it's what we used to call way back when he made unserious films the Matthew McConaughey effect. Uh, <laughs> I'm never going to grow up. My whole point is to sow wild oats and reap them, and uh, and just be uh, a dingbat for as long as I can. A lovable dingbat. And there's all sorts of movies made. In fact, I, I really resent a long history of, over the last 40, 50 years from Hollywood of the babbling Hugh, Hugh Grant, supposedly male adult, who when the woman says, Would you, do you love me? And he goes, and we all laugh. But I'll tell you what, it has created a, a whole non-conscious mindset is that men go out I, 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 I just didn't express myself mm. versus be an adult say for example i love you or uh, i feel very distant from you right now or I, w I wish you knew what was going on inside of me right now or i wish i knew what was going inside of you right now or how how could I get to know you better? So I really have a low tolerance anymore for these films that just go, oh my God, the guy can't say I'm having feelings for you. You know, turn the stupid thing off. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. <laughs>
So that's why you would have these rites of passage. So the Puritans had a uh, rite of passage at age seven. So let's go back to then glorify God by enjoying him forever. The idea was up until the age of seven, I think their main intent was we want little Pat, this diminutive adult, adult to enjoy God. Go play. They hardly had any work responsibilities. Play. Play. Create. Be creative. Which, by the way, again, you see so many adults, especially the males I know, they're not very creative. That doesn't mean they're not know how to make a ton of money, know how to write code. Very creative. Uh, you see it once they're off work, just come home, watch TV, whatever. In fact, I happen to think this is the whole rise of the travel industry. The travel industry, you know, back in Lewis's day, people didn't want to travel. They understood. It comes from the old, uh, an old word called travail. That is, travel was a danger fraught with, with a, a, a journey fraught with danger. And whether it's travel wasn't, there was no great allure to travel. It's because a lot of it had to do with, you know, this workaday life is pretty darn creative. It, it is, it's, it's fascinating. And I think a lot of people just sort of plug away at their work so they can travel the world and go find themselves. Well, first of all, what made you ever think you lost yourself way over there in Tibet? And, uh, and then you're going to go find yourself. So this, the whole travel industry emerges, I think, from what I call retarded maturity. They never grew up into adults because they, they never went through this transition. Now, once you go through this transition, it was expected that from uh, the tender age of seven or nine, and, and there was a lot of faith traditions held the, that the age of accountability is nine years old, is you are now given adult responsibilities. For example, after my confirmation at nine, it was expected that I could sit in the Sunday service as a maturing adult. I didn't have to be entertained. I could actually pay attention. I had the capacity to be responsible. I know right now I sound like I'm speaking Martian. Because the mindset today is, we got to get little Johnny in a youth group without ever thinking, am I now retarding little Johnny? Gene Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E, is written the best stuff on this. And she would essentially say, yes. Because now Twenge doesn't evidence that she knows Christ but she does evidence the good neuroscience and the behavioral studies on what happens when you retard adults. By the way, listeners, uh, Pat and I, this is all unplanned. I didn't know we were going to go this direction, but <laughs> here's one of the evidences, and we've talked about this before, Pat, but uh, the old fairy tales were much more explicit, violent, and raunchy than what happened after the 19th century. I mean, Sleeping Beauty is aroused by the prince because he comes in and fornicates with her. That's a very different tale. Very different tale. And you have far more bloodletting. It's because 
it was felt these are adults they can handle it this is the way it works today and this became very apparent especially um when disney took the tales but it actually happened in the victorian era uh the tales were swapped out for the love of the little kiss of the prince wakes the uh, wake sleeping beauty up so on and so forth they were cleaned up because kids can't handle that and uh then you have the Disney uh, films really clean them up because the kids can't handle them. So what do you end up with? You end up with nine or 10 year olds that are at this point in life, they ought to be a little more aware and responsible. I instead are protected from all manner of evil. And, and to be honest with you, I see a lot of this in uh, COVID-19. Hmm. Now, by the way, this only works for kids whose parents are affluent enough to protect them from all manner of evil. Mm. That's a good point. So I'm an Hispanic parent here in town. I don't have the means and the wealth to flee. I can't protect, I can, I can wear a mask, I can do all these things, but as a matter of fact, there's three families living in one apartment and we have no other option. So we've often said before, we live in a trifurcated town. I'm going to preach here to some of my friends. It is black, Hispanic, and white, and never the three shall meet. It's amazing how you can draw lines on streets. And in most, many of the black communities, and particularly in the Hispanic community, they don't have plan B. They can't afford the plan B. They don't have the option for plan B. They can't protect their children from all manner of evil. Well, let's fly through walls, so on and so forth. My wife teaches some of them, and frankly, they come from Venezuela. And if you come from Venezuela, Google the article last week in the Wall Street Journal. Which country in the world has 20% of the world's proven reserves? Venezuela. Their output now is expected to decline to 200,000 barrels of oil a year from at one point millions they supplied most of the oil for the united states in world war ii 96 percent of the country lives under the poverty line nine six we'll say that for a future podcast on why we're not socialists but when you have that you can't flee covid well i think a lot of why you see the white community flee is you've got to protect little Susie from all manner of evil. Now, what happens when little Susie begins to grow up? She grows up in some ways, I don't mean to offend, but they grow up in terms of maturity. Their maturity is retarded. And you see that with the almost endless entertainment and contortions that especially youth pastors have to go through to keep little Johnny and little Susie interested in church. It's a huge cottage industry based on an idea that came out of thin air, adolescence. It also extended out this period of children obey your parents. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Hmm. My nine-year-old may not. Yes, 
So here, uh, imagine this. I want you to uh, imagine a graph. You'll be better at uh, XY graph. So X is the vertical. So at the moment, I'm not explaining this graph. Just tell me back because <laughs> these graphs are real helpful. But so the uh, vertical axis would be called. The vertical yeah. is, is the Y. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the X is. Okay. So the vertical is zero to hundred percent. And the Y is years. Let's just take it out. 50 years. Okay. The moment your a baby is born, you have 99.9% .9 dominion over that baby. So we're going to call this the dominion chart. Hmm. Parents have it. And the child is to obey. And that dominion stays pretty root and toot and high through age seven or nine. Now, even a baby begins to have some dominion. God has this wonderful little mechanism in them. And that dominion is what? Mm, good old cry. There you go. Actually, there's three ways they have dominion. Cry. <laughs> second. Uh, poop. <laughs> there you go. Third. Is it along the same lines of, of a, a P? It's yeah, one and two, say. if you want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> Cry, pee, poop. Those all come, by the way, from creation. So I snow. I snow. Oh, yeah, little sinners crying. No. They didn't cry when they came out. Why? That womb, I can't remember it. I have a daughter who pretends like she remembers the womb. It was a really cool thing. I'm sure it was. I'm sure. <laughs> It was very relaxing. And then you come out, and the first thing someone does these days, if I, they still do it this way, someone slaps you on the behind, sort of getting you ready for the next seven years. <laughs> of course, today in helicopter parenting, we don't believe in that. So anything the Bible says about spare the rod and spoil the child, oh, that was for way back then. As if God doesn't know human nature, he's just stuck inside of being a white European male. No, there's actually, a, there's actually some benefit to it, but that's another topic for another day. Your dominion is 99.9%, .9%, but it's not absolute. First of all, nobody has absolute dominion except God. Second, uh, you know, little Mikey immediately began to cry, pee, and poop. And uh, that's where you begin to lose dominion right away. You don't say, pee on my command. Um, that's just the way it works. Now here's what happens. So the graph is, as you can imagine, it stays pretty high, and then it begins to dramatically decline. Parents are unaware of the fact that they are rapidly losing dominion, especially from seven, eight, or nine, somewhere on. I think it's the way God designed humans. These are diminutive adults, and they're going to want to begin to spread their wings. And so the graph goes... And it should be somewhere in the single digits or even maybe at somewhere along what are called, here's another phrase, though, another thing that came out of adolescence, teenagers. There's, find in the Bible a reference to teenagers. <laughs> now, again, we go back to people go, oh, it's just semantics, like, you know, you need to get a real job. And we're back to again, well, that's funny. I say Jesus is a son of God, and you get all lathered up. No, no, he's the son of God. But if I say, 
The Bible makes no reference to teenagers. It doesn't even define youth the way we do. Ah. You know, much ado about nothing. Okay. Good people can disagree. The difference is, now here's the way parenting works on this side of the divide. Generally, parents, I'm going to put the dominion, actually, believe it or not, um, down below 50%. They just, you know, this is just sort of motor along. They don't think much about it, you know, feed them. And some people, some parents think about it. They think about, for example, is there some evidence that listening to Mozart has some effect, uh, better effect on brain stimulation? I don't know. There might be. Anyway, they don't give it much thought. In fact, they really don't think much about dominion until, generally speaking, until when? I think most most don't think about dominion until ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do they begin to act it out without knowing the word? Oh, when they when because the it literally means taking yeah. control. Yeah, when the kid starts to rebel, typically there you go. Yeah, so now they're fourteen or fifteen, and uh, they be you know the child who's now been he's been retarded by the parents flicks the bird at the parents, and now the parents all of a sudden they'd want to have hundred percent control. Mm. What a what a disaster. Listen, just like a great marriage is two adults side by side, whereas Kathy and I will tell you most of the adult, most of the uh, marriages that we're around are a parent to child arrangement without the couple knowing it. So we're talking a lot about from, from the, the maybe the perspective of the parents are you, from the perspective of the child is uh are you basically pointing out that we may as kids we have to recognize that that we may have grown up in this home i would say more than likely you never went through some sort of a uh a christian uh, interpretation of a bar mitzvah in other words yes your parents probably never took you to the first meadow when say you were approaching the age 10 as you were approaching it seven eight or nine they never talked to you about as the puritans did when they took uh, their sons or daughters uh, to a weekend in the woods so to say and would say uh, when we leave here from this weekend it's going to be different it's gonna be good you're an adult um so yes pat my lament is probably you know your parents just didn't know but they never they never took you instead uh, and i think uh, instead without without giving it any thought they they dropped you off in the nursery when you went to church i get it because they say they make a lot of noise then they uh, dropped you off in the in this five-year-old class and the seven but then they dropped you off in this and they dropped you off in this and they dropped you off in the youth and frankly i was a pastor i remember very well uh parents saying to me because we were a church plant saying hey listen we really like to come Mike, but you don't have a youth program so uh xyz church over there has a great youth program and what they're really telling me is what they should have told me and what i didn't know was to say we never expected little Johnny to grow up and to be an adult by this age. Little Johnny's not an adult. Uh, he doesn't think like an adult because we uh, didn't develop him like an adult because we were never developed like an adult. He's a teenager. And uh, so as a teenager, uh, we're looking for a great youth pastor 
running joke for you youth pastors when, when I was a pastor, all of you had to have these trim goatees. What was the deal there? Anyway, <laughs> I digress. And I, there was, I knew there was nothing I could do. I couldn't match it, and I didn't want to match it. And one of the worst things I ever did finally was capitulate when this guy wanted to, he volunteered uh, to be a uh, sort of a youth director. I mean, he was a good man. He really meant well, and so did I. But a lot of it, they do, we do it out of desperation. We don't want to lose little Johnny. We don't want to lose the family. Well, here's what we lose. Good little book on this, and this does have to do with parenting, is uh, Michael Regnaris's book, Forbidden Fruit. It is the immense studies that take place of what happens to kids in youth groups. On average, the average kid is 1% more promiscuous than kids who aren't in youth groups. What the heck's going on there? Uh, you want to do what you're told not to. That's right. They learn all about the law. Keep your zipper up. Don't touch. Don't look. All that stuff. As Paul said, where the law increases, sin increases. They have no idea because they're not talked to like adults about their body is telling the story of the gospel. They, oh my God, that would sound like it came from Pluto, which unfortunately is no longer a planet. <laughs> so what you have today is hunchback helicopter parents obsessed over the kids, protecting them from all manner of evil, sending them to all the, these, these schools that will protect them and sending them to youth groups. And so the notion of children obey your parents and, uh, and honor your parents, the two main demarcations are lost in the church today. Honor your parents, the Decalogue, Ten Commandments, was given to adults. So if it's given to adults, who are we talking about? He says, you adults, honor your parents. Who are the parents? Me. People like me. The grandparents. Old people. Older. All right, Boomer. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> yeah, it's not to become an old person. You go, dang, I really want them to understand what honor your parents means. <laughs> Now, that's what we gain from the other side of the great divide, is this, your daughter is a diminutive adult. Of course she's a child, of course she's a baby, of course she's, but this period for her to be a child is much shorter than we in the modern Western world imagine. So how do I, how do I begin to navigate that as, as a child, I'm, you know, now maybe I'm in my thirties and realizing, uh, I, I wasn't, wasn't raised with that understanding and maybe, maybe I have some pushback against what you said, but maybe I'm buying into some of it. Like what, what do I do? How do I, how do I process that? Yeah, that's better. I mean, time does go backwards. So, um, right. You know, I always remember William Wilberforce when he, uh, in the in the Clapham, part of the Clapham, when people became aware of the reality of the slave trade versus this fairy tale they've been told that slaves were being Christianized, that they were getting treated, they were being treated well, 
And then when they began to read about a, on average, a 40% loss of life on a ship across the Atlantic, when they, when they saw men and women stripped, naked, chained on in the bowels of the boat so that they peed and pooped on one another, when they read about how sharks followed these boats because when slaves died, they were tossed overboard. There were a lot of people who curled into fetal positions and said, no, no, this just can't be. And Wilberforce before us was famous for saying, you can look away, but you can never from this day on say you didn't know. Now, I didn't think this podcast was going to end here, but uh, here's where I would end it. Yes, you can say, like, this is like crazy stuff. I've never heard this. And you can you can look away, but you can never say from this day forward you didn't know. So in one respect, it hardly matters what your parents did or did. My parents didn't take me through this passage, this rite of passage. It's not their fault. I don't blame them. They didn't know. Kathy and I knew. Now, we knew after our kids had passed through this, but we could begin to uh, talk to them and treat them as adults. I still see parents, boomer parents in my generation, talk to their kids like kids. I still see boomer, my peers and Gen Xers long to talk to their parents like adults. I'm not sure you can change a lot of that, but you can change this. You could take your beautiful daughter and say, and sit down with your wife and say, let's, let's consider doing it another way. Uh, uh, a way actually that uh, is rooted in history, tradition, scripture, I believe, and actually now really good neuroscience on what yields healthy adults. And let's, uh, let's actually demarcate a weekend somewhere between the age of seven and nine. I could put you on to a young man, actually about your age, Pat, actually you know him, who uh, is a teaching pastor at a church, but also works for a design firm. And uh, he and his wife are doing this for their four, each one of their four daughters. It can be done. Be done. So the idea is... Um, when Kathy and I got married, we covenanted, amongst many things, we were going to break many unhealthy cycles that we had come from. And remember that the new covenant is that promise. The old covenant was the sins of their parents would be visited on the, gener on the, on the kids and the grandkids. And it was going to be on for four or five generations. The new covenant, he said... Uh, you, know, you might have eaten sour grapes, but their teeth will be fine. In other words, you can break a covenant. You can break a cycle, rather. You can break a cycle in one generation. It's not visited on this generation, this and all these following generations. That's the power of the new covenant. We are wed to Christ and can break these cycles. And, you can break, and we decided we were going to break several unhealthy cycles, that, how we were raised. No fault of our parents. They're not to blame. 
it doesn't matter how it happened. What matters is now that you've seen this, you can look away, but you can never say you never knew. And if you do know, you can say, well, let's do it this way. And if listeners want some help, by the way, we'll put you in touch with this uh, couple in the Midwest. Uh, and we can also uh, send you a copy of uh, uh, the talk, uh, the paper written called Their Adulthood. And you can look at it, you can read it, and then you can decide whether or not you will look away. Or if you'll say, uh, let's do it this way. 